These aren't my stories. I'm just the person cursed for eternity to write them down and tell them to the world. In my former life, I was a harpist. I played music that was lovely. A little over a year ago, I bought a strange antique harp in a second-hand shop. The awkward old man at the counter told me that it was once owned by a bard who had sold his soul for success. Everyone who played it ran out of the store. I didn't choose that harp, but that harp chose me. I couldn't help but to bring it home. That night, I played and my mind was filled with stories from the other side, from places unseen, from the damned. I'm Michelle Roger, and the story I'm about to tell you is one strung, note by note, and composed in the night. Taste of the Dead by Michelle Roger I had cried myself dry after he had given me his explanation. Heartbroken, I had awoken, hands bound to the head of the bed, and my feet secured in some way I couldn't see. A wool blanket covered them. Realizing I was awake, he strolled into the room. Our date last night, a reunion, so to speak, had been to test the waters after the long sabbatical away from the chaos that had been our relationship. As we talked over drinks, I could feel some of the old spark. He smiled often, peering over his campari. He had seemed to share my reminiscent feelings. His irresistible charm had me laughing, nearly forgetting why I'd left in the first place. Sometime after the third round, the details got blurry. Now I was here, in his bed, unable to move, with him standing over me. He freed my hands and I took the opportunity to sit up with my knees to my chest. In the freeing of my body, he gave his explanation for the binds. He'd missed me in our time apart. He confessed he couldn't live out his days without me. When I'd agreed to a reunion, he had set his plan in motion. He had decided that I would join him in his immortality. His declaration of my becoming like him was roughly the last that I was able to comprehend. He had drone on about the beauty, the benefits, the opportunities, and the love. All of it was white noise. I'd gone numb. I stared at him incredulously. I stared at my present, and more so, my future. His pale face and deep red lips would soon be my own comparable reflection. The small, logical side of my brain asked a question. Will I have a reflection after he's killed me? My body shivered as my logical brain persisted. Will I scream? Will it be torture like he described his meals? The setting was inspiration for actual hysterical laughter. The crushed velvet drapes gently swayed in the autumn breeze here in his high-story apartment. He'd set out candles on the mantel, the side table, and even the corners of the shelves inlaid in the headboard. He was actually handing me a death sentence by candlelight. Was this idea of somehow making murder civil? Somehow I could see him thinking that murder by candlelight was far more acceptable, even charitable, for a woman he loved. He must have detected my uncontrollable fear. He tried to calm me by brushing the wisps of hair from my face. His gentle touch 
persuaded me that he was acting in my best interest. Think of all the pain, disease, and frailties that accompanied old age. Starting tomorrow, all of these things would never be an issue in my life. But a wave of nausea rolled over me when I thought about how differently things would indeed be in the morning, if I survived his plans for me tonight. A second wave, this time of deep despair, cut through me. My own words haunted, if, if I survived his plans for me. Death was real for the first time in my life. It was less than a few hours away, possibly. Was it true? Would I die alone, begging for him to stop? Tears welled in my eyes and I shuddered again, this time from an intense feeling of cold. I realized I didn't believe in anything specifically. Heaven, hell, eternal sleep, absolute nirvana, all these after-death concepts had escaped me somehow. I checked myself. No, I had run away from them. I was young, and death was the farthest thing from my mind, until now. I made a vow to myself as I stared up at him. If he did, in fact, lose his control tonight and kill me before miraculously changing me forever, I vowed I would haunt him. Whatever I became, in the places where the innocent go before their time, I would go there. I would remember. I would find him and haunt him mercilessly. I would be his ghost, his reminder of the love whom he gave no choice. There was the heart of it, the very core. Tomorrow, when I opened my eyes, I would be something absolutely different from the person I was now. Logically, I would leave this bed a ghost or a monster. My legs ached to run at the thought. I wanted a third choice. I wanted to remain human. I tried to think of a way to convince him that my immortality could not stop love if it was meant to be. I looked back at his face where traces of anticipation for night, for action, crossed his face. There would be no reasoning with him. I wanted an alternative, so I looked around his room again for a way out. The flame of a candle on the mantel flickered as it struggled to retain its flame. He moved so quickly. I couldn't remember where he had been in the room only a second prior, but I found myself on my back again, hands bound to the headboard. A click of the bolt told me he had left and I was alone. On the way out, he had extinguished the candles. The room was pitch black. His vision was perfect in any light. He had only turned them on for me as courtesy, as he handed down his verdict about my life. Now, in the darkness, I wondered if he would be so kind when he returned. Would there be a need? I tried to think of one to calm myself. As time passed, my thoughts raced. I criticized my lack of judgment. If I hadn't agreed to meet him last night, maybe I wouldn't be in this mess. Stupid, stupid, stupid. After all, I knew who and what he was. That was why I had left initially. The murdering had been too much for me. Initially, I knew he was doing something that harbored outside of normal society. I'd guessed drugs or crime. 
As my curiosity had grown, so had my anxiety. One night, in this very apartment, he had gently, over hours and hours of talking, revealed the truth to me. Of course, at first, I didn't believe it. The notion was the stuff of movies and stories old people told children to make them behave in the grocery store. But, as the few days passed that followed, I discovered he wasn't lying. I'd felt ill and stayed home from work, sleeping well into the afternoon. Unaware that I was home, he brought home dinner. I'd heard voices and pulled on his cotton shirt that he'd draped over his chair the night before. I tiptoed to the bathroom, hoping to brush my teeth and wash my face before I met him and his guest in the living room. Raised voices made their way over the running water, and I sheepishly peered out of the bathroom door and around the hallway. A quick flash of something caught my eye, and I walked slowly to the living room, completely forgetting I was half-dressed. There, in his arms, was a middle-aged man in black pants, and what at first I thought was a black shirt. Realization swept over me as I saw the man's shirt was actually gray and I'd mistaken the black collar for that of one that was soaked in blood. Now, as I replayed the scene in my mind, I saw that it would have been a quick and clean kill had I not interrupted. Instead, Andre had looked up to find me standing between the hallway and the living room. The guest, whose blood he should have been drinking, pulsed thick and fluid onto the Persian rug to the beat of the man's own heart. Andre stared at me with blood running down his chin. I wanted to run, but seemed unable to move. For a brief minute, I'd forgotten how to breathe. I gasped for air and screamed as the man in his arms started to shake and twitch in a convulsion, probably from the shock and the trauma. Andre pulled the man closer into his arms, but continued to stare at me as if he were thinking of some way to explain the scene. I pointed to the victim in his arms as foam, pink, with saliva and blood mixed, spurted from his mouth. He was choking and gasping. Andre tore his eyes from mine and pulled back his lips to reveal his teeth. A low growl came from somewhere within his chest. He pounced, and in one swift bite, the man lay still and lifeless. I ran that night into the street, leaving behind my belongings, and vowed never to return. For weeks, I had nightmares of one minute looking into the face of my lover, and the next into the eyes of a monster, blood oozing from between his teeth. Months passed. My logical mind had started to think I'd made the whole thing up. Maybe I dreamed it. Maybe the only thing that Andre had been guilty of was slipping a pill into my drink. By the time he had called me weeks later, my heart conceived that I'd hallucinated the whole thing and he deserved a second chance. My mind went blank. I was back in the pitch blackness again. Noise from outside of the room sent my heart pounding. A siren rang in my ears. As the door opened, bright light poured in and Andre stood with his back to it. He turned gracefully towards me with a tray and sat it beside me. 
Something smelled good despite all my fear. Relighting the candles around the room, he hummed to himself. I recognized the tune vaguely. It was something from the symphony we'd attended last winter. When he reached the votives at the headboard, he stopped to look at me. With one finger, he caressed the slope of my jawbone, down the side of my neck to the soft skin, just above my collarbone. A tear fell across my cheek. He untied my hands and quickly vanished to a corner on the other side of the room. I didn't mean to frighten you. Please eat. I've taken the liberty of ordering all your favorites. I rubbed my wrist and wiped the rest of the tears that I tried to silently hold back. I was too afraid to eat. Andre was suddenly next to the tray. I jumped back and caught my tethered ankle, and I winced. You didn't move like that before, I snapped. It would have scared you, he said casually, opening plastic containers and unrolling the tops of large paper bags filled with more food. Here's a news flash, my voice cracking. It still scares me. He sighed. In some strange apology, he pushed the mountains of food on the tray towards me. It was true. Every favorite I'd ever told him about or discovered in the two years we'd been together now sat regally on a large platter, dotted with plastic forks and knives. A folded paper container held steaming sections of crispy duck with plum sauce and scallions. A large white box with the lid popped open sat curried noodles delicately nestled in the sauce of coconut milk, onions, and chopped peanuts. A small white bag with the sides rolled down was a treasure of Napoleon pastries and coffee cream eclairs. If that weren't enough, there were two more boxes filled with seared tuna steaks and ginger, and another with jasmine rice. In a ceramic tube sat a bottle of champagne with two glasses. Are we celebrating something? I asked through hard-fought tears. Or is this your version of a death row last meal? He grimaced. The food is my way of letting you taste what will be by tomorrow rather unappealing. Champagne is for later, when you wake in my arms to find that I was right to change you, that we were meant to be together, forever. You can't make that choice for me. I swear, Andre, I won't let you. I said it with far more authority than I thought possible. This may sound cliche, my love, but if I can't have you, no one can. He quickly left the room. I heard him rummaging through something that sounded like drawers in the other room. It was hard to be sure exactly what he was doing. I whipped off the woolen blanket that hid my feet in the hopes of untying them before Andre returned, but my heart sank. The cuffs on both ankles were metal, with no key in sight. I yanked my feet in desperation. As suddenly as he had left, he returned with a large wooden box inlaid with what looked like mother-of-pearl. He was lightning again. In an instant, I felt absolute elation as my ankles felt their release from their cuffs. As if in the same instant, I was being carried backwards to find my hands were again tied to the bed. This time, the bindings were longer. At least I could touch my face. I assumed this was his way of still allowing me to eat, although the notion of releasing my feet made no sense. As I blinked a few times to clear my head from flying about so quickly, Andre sat on the edge of the bed and watched me. Try some food, please, he cooed. I laughed through hysterical tears. Forgive me 
if I don't say the same to you. I tugged at my wrists that weren't quite able to reach each other with my fingers, stretched to their limits. I yanked harder in feeble attempts to break free. I screamed in frustration. All the while, he watched me and said nothing. I finally threw myself onto the pillows in exhaustion, and he waited. When he was sure I'd recovered, he lay his hand on my ankle and gently rubbed it. You're right. No one should be forced to live with another for eternity. Therefore, I've altered my plan. Tonight, you will get to choose. I exhaled in relief as he continued. Tears rolled to the sides of my face and onto the pillow. He sat close to me and pulled me gently into a warm embrace. Now, I was mentally going numb. you have a choice. He smelled my hair. With one arm he held me close to him, and behind me, his other arm was moving something. I stiffened in alarm. Listen carefully. He directed. Behind your left shoulder blade is a knife, given to my great-great-grandmother from a woman of royalty whose life she saved during the revolt of the peasants in her country. Before you, I sit, prepared to offer you immortality and eternity, and thus the choice is simple. Lay back under your own strength, and the knife will, I assure you, pierce your heart. Fall forward into my arms, and I will inject the first bite. From that moment, transition is painless. He sat forward, placing my legs in his lap, yet giving me complete freedom to fall either way. Now, he added, you have a choice. Dead or undead, some choice. But there weren't going to be any third options, so I tried to think. For a logical woman, the choice would have been quick and obvious. Immortality would have gently held her head to the side and offered her slender neck that instant. She would have decided that life, in whatever form, far more precious than death. But my heart argued the opposite. What is life if it's to feast on the blood of others by night and by day to share my bed with a man driven by the possession of one woman? My heart couldn't choose an eternity, making love to madness. There I sat, my own personal pendulum, without a direction. Andre got up and poured the champagne to show his certainty in my decision. As he watched me for a moment from the end of the bed, he knew I was deliberating, but it was clear he was too pompous to see himself for anything less than a liberator. It was beyond his comprehension to think that the silence of the grave and the allure of eternal sleep could outweigh anything he had to offer me by way of wealth, immortality, or love. At least, what he considered the definition of love. He set the glasses on the end table next to the side of the bed and again balanced my legs on his lap. My hands could reach as far as my own face, and I took the chance to rub the pounding pain that increased behind my eyes. I felt his cool hands atop my fingers. His lips gently pressed the lids of my eyes closed. All the pain will stop, he whispered. His voice surprised me. I jerked back suddenly and felt the tip of the knife break the top layer of my skin. I jerked forward towards him. He snapped his eyes shut, as if fighting the urge to move forward with his initial plan. His resolve was proof that he truly expected me to offer myself to him before his teeth would touch my skin. Andre trembled beneath me, and I whimpered, 
I was sure he was breaking his promise. His eyes remained closed, but he whispered, Shh! You have proven your point, and I have given my word. You will decide, no matter how long I sit here and smell the sweetness of the droplets of blood that are presently gliding down your back. He smiled, his eyes still closed, but a wicked smile curled his lips upwards at the ends. In the end, you will choose me over any other possible outcome. In the end, we will live together. Forever. Some new feeling began to stir in me as I sat up, spine straight. There was death at my back and a forever of madness at my lips. Rage swelled up from somewhere in my soul. Thus far, it had been a fight between my logical mind and my emotional heart. My soul had something to say in all of this, and it wore its mask of intolerable anger. Hope came to the forefront of my mind, as if the cavalry had arrived. The three pieces of myself began to form a plan, to work together. I listened as they presented their joint venture to me. It was dangerous and risky. It was also something I hadn't had before. It was a third option. My own option. Doubt crept in and around my determination, but my mind threw it to the floor. Andre, no matter how patient, was beginning to get agitated by my indecision. He placed his strong hands on my hips and tipped them ever so slightly towards him. He was stacking the deck in his favor. My heart raced, my mind calculated, and my soul held my resolve. I opened my eyes and whispered in the darkness, Andre. Yes? He whispered back. My body tensed as I felt his hands pull my hips towards him again. With every second he was pulling my body into his, every second farther and farther from the knife aimed for the back of my beating heart. Kiss me, I pleaded, as I tried to reach for his face. He opened his eyes with a curious stare. I drew in a breath. Kiss me. What? I want to feel you kiss my mortal lips one more time before we do this. He smiled and his eyes smoldered as he leaned our bodies oh so slightly back towards the knife. His kiss was hard, more forceful than I had planned. My mind raced to recalibrate, but there wasn't time. I pulled him towards me and revealed my neck. As he reared his head back in victory, I braced myself and focused by looking up to the ceiling. Wait for the third bite, I told myself. His grip on my hips released and his hands brushed back my long hair to expose the rest of my neck below my jaw. His breath was warm as his eyes met mine. We'll toast our forever as soon as you wake. He reassured me. I twisted my hands around the bindings to shorten them around my arms. I needed their leverage as his weight shifted towards me again. Pulling on the ends of my hair in a way to be sure nothing got in the way of his approach, he leaned in for the first bite. I watched him open his mouth. His teeth had again grown longer, like I had seen them, with the man in the living room, and I waited. The initial pain from two fangs plunging into my neck was soon gone, or rather, replaced. A cool sensation spread to my face and down my arm. As he had described in his explanation, the first bite would be his venom. It exploded into my bloodstream by way of his elongated teeth reaching the main vein in my neck. 
I was, at first, doubtful I would be able to hold my resolve. The venom was effective. Oh, let him have me, I told myself. I surrender. But my soul fought back with a fierce rage. She screamed, Fight! Stay here! Remember! I groaned in reluctance, making myself remember the rules, or at least of what I could guess of the rules. The yellowed pages and inky text of my ancient copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula flooded my mind. Three bites I focused, as I chanted to myself. Andre shifted his weight and mine. The first bite had been on the right side of my neck, to where the main vein sent oxygen-deprived blood directly to my heart. I wondered to myself if he was always this kind to his victims, or if he had really thought about how to make my transformation the least painful. The second bite was for him. He pushed my head to the right, revealing the left side of my neck where the jugular pumped harder and harder as fear erupted through my body. It was one thing to have venom injected into me. It was quite another for him to take my blood. I fought hard to hold back my survival instinct to fight him. Andre closed his eyes, and I heard him take a deep breath. Nausea rose to my throat, and I swallowed hard. He was breathing in the scent of my blood, pounding so close to the surface. I had once watched him swirl forty-year-old single malt scotch in the same way. As I sat in his arms, half-drugged and bound to his bed, he was actually savoring the process of murdering me. He kissed the soft, delicate area just below my ear and then made his way midway to my neck. His lips released and his teeth plunged again, this time drawing my blood from its running stream below my skin. A growl erupted deep in his throat. Tears flooded my eyes and down my face. He seemed to be reveling in each long draw from my arteries. I felt weak. Would he actually be able to stop? Lifting his head, he stared into my weeping eyes. My own blood dripped from the corners of his mouth, deep red, almost black, in the dim light. He must have seen the horror on my face, because he stood up to wipe his face. I took the few seconds to readjust my body, weak as it was. I had a chance at my third option. I used the bonds around my hands and pulled myself onto the tip of the knife. Gritting my teeth, I leaned my body into it, feeling it slice through the skin and muscle, just stopping at the bone below my shoulder blade. Light from the candles flickered off the walls, giving the illusion of a, f of a fire blazing in the room. He climbed back to the bed and placed his body under mine again. The predator took hold of his prey, and I waited for the last carnal signal. The third bite would be the one that would end my life. I gambled he would act the same as he had with the man in the living room. It seemed like forever in the darkness. My heart beat so loud in my ears, I was afraid I might not hear it when it came. But the terrifying growl from his chest did come. It vibrated through his skin and resonated into my own. My heart gave the go-ahead. He lunged towards me as his gaping jaws hurled themselves, this time violently, for the last remains of my blood. I drew him into my arms, and the rest was easy. I heard the bone break, 
the knife sliced straight through into my pounding heart. I listened as my heart tried to pound once, twice, and then nothing. Silence. His teeth had just begun to break the skin, and a sensation of my blood falling away from my own face nearly made me forget that technically I was dead. There was a numbing, a feeling of being drunk that had unfolded my last breath into slow motion. I had felt Andre's teeth slice deep into the soft tissue of my neck again, completely unaware that I was no longer breathing and my heart no longer beating. One second. Two seconds. Five seconds. He looked up at me with absolute panic in his eyes. My mind registered that I shouldn't be able to see him. The rest of my body registered nothing. It was like as if I was in some kind of strange dream where I was aware, but still at the mercy of the dream itself. My hands unbound, he ripped us both far from the place where he had put the knife, but it was too late. Blood ran down my spine and my breasts as he ripped his mouth away from my throat in the horror of what I had done. I tried to focus on his face as the room spun in a blur of flame, darkness, and smoke. Andre grasped at his own throat as if it were burning with a flame of its own. My blood gurgled in his throat. What did you do? I laughed at the horror in his eyes. Part of me was astonished that I was able to laugh. I was starting to feel things like my freed wrist and the silk of the sheets. He, on the other hand, was literally on fire from within his own skin. Writhing and screaming, he ran from the bed, leaving me to bleed from my wounds. He ran around the room, knocking over candles and furniture, only to stop when he had slammed his own body into the full-length bedroom window. Agony hemorrhaged in his screams as they traveled out into the night air. After a while, they dulled to a weep. You've killed us both, you know. I rolled on my side. Blood smeared across my face from the soaked sheet, but I didn't care. I looked at him, crumpled up on the floor, smoke seeping from every orifice of his body, burning alive from within. I made you drink the blood of the dead, I smiled. The living are for the taking, but the dead are no good to you. Isn't that how you explained it to me when I asked you to find another way? Something other than a being a murderer? My voice was getting stronger. You, you killed yourself in order to kill me? He asked. Gasping, the fire was sweeping through his lungs. The flesh beneath his shirt had begun to bubble in the heat. I killed myself in order for you, well, for you to save me. I stood up and stretched my back. I felt uneasy on my feet but strong enough to reach over my shoulder and pull out the knife. The exertion made me feel faint. I sat down on the edge of the bed. Andre twitched as his hands reached towards me from across the room. He opened his mouth where smoke preceded his last words. Madness! He shouted. A flame erupting from his throat leapt into the air. The remains of his body shattered into tiny pieces under the combustion. 
I sighed, reaching over to the side table for a glass that I knew would taste like mud. I raised it up to the smoldering and bubbling pieces of corpse that singed the carpet and drapes. I dipped the end of my nose into the deep glass to hold off the sulfuric smell of rotten eggs and drew a long sip. Cheers, Andre, I toasted. I made my way to the living room, where the stain in the carpet still sat, black, with an odd sheen, as if somehow, after weeks, it were still wet. From the dining room table, I heard my cell phone vibrating. It was a fantastic reality check, a confirmation that I was alive. One new voice message. Hey, it's Shan. I haven't heard from you, and I'm getting worried that maybe you hooked back up with Psycho Andre. She stopped short. Did I say that? Okay, I said it. I mean, what the fuck? Throwing you out just wearing his shirt? What a whack job. If I don't hear from you in two hours, I'm calling the cops. I walked to the bedroom where the room was still filled with toxic smoke. Standing on a chair, I yanked down the fire detector and took out the battery. I hit reply in my cell. Hey, Shan, don't worry. It was the typical hot guy breakup. Drinking, bondage, huge argument about where the relationship is going. But you'd be proud of me. You might say... I burned everything that would remind him of our time together. I'm going out of town to get over it. Call you when I get back. You've been listening to Taste of the Dead by Michelle Roger. Narrated by the author. Music provided by Victor Stellar.